don't care how old you are. I don't care where you've come from, what your experience is. If you don't believe something is possible, then you may as well give up now. But if you do, you're going to overcome those obstacles. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We are here for another episode of Comeback Stories. So today's guest is Lisa Bilyeu. She's the co-founder and president of Impact Theory, a digital media company focused on empowering content. She also co-founded a, the billion-dollar company, Quest Nutrition, and she now also hosts Women of Impact. And I know you're doing a lot more than that, but we just want to welcome you to the show. It's a blessing to have you here. Oh my God, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Of course, we always just dive right into our interviews here. And our first question is, can you tell us a little bit about what growing up for you was like? Oh, yeah. So you might be able to tell from the accent, I was born in England, but I have a very Cypriot family. So my heritage is Greek. My dad came from a tiny village in the mountains of Cyprus in the middle of nowhere. Third world, their restroom was a hole in the floor. And so even though I was brought up in the metropolis of London, I every summer would go back and stay in the village where my dad was brought up. And it was definitely such a stark contrast. But I think having seen both of those things really allowed me to not take anything for granted. And also, I just learned from my dad that nothing's given to you, that it doesn't matter where you come from, that you have to put your head down and work hard and believe that you can do it. To the point where when my dad was born, they had to send a donkey with a doctor on the donkey to help my grandmother give birth. That's how we're talking. So seeing my dad go from that to leaving at the age of 11 so that he could go to school because there was no high school in the area. So at 11, he had to go to his, you know, this high school out of the village, make it to London. He started in the mailroom of a shipping company and then he worked up the ladder. And I just saw how hard he worked. And I saw that Coming from nothing doesn't define who you could be. It just means you have to go in there, believe in yourself and really work hard. So that really taught me a lot. But growing up Greek Orthodox, I definitely was brought up in a family with my dad who always thought I would end up being a stay-at-home wife because that was what he knew. He grew up in a village where women didn't get education. They didn't even you know, go to high school because again, like I said, there was no high school. So women didn't get educated. And he just assumed that I would, stay at home. And so when I wanted to have these big dreams, I wanted to make movies and I wanted to go to film school, we would like argue for a couple of weeks. And it was always, you have to do something that's going to make your family proud. And eventually he just fine, do what you want because you're going to end up staying at home and being a housewife in a way. Now he didn't mean to be insulting. It feels a bit dismissive in repeating it. But in hindsight, it just is about the perspective of where he came from, the way he saw the world. And over time, I think many of us end up growing up with a belief system that is passed on by our parents, that is passed on by our friends, the school we went to, the lessons we've learned, the movies we watch, right? If we're popular, not popular, all of these things do dictate our belief system. So for me, growing up as a female, even though I had these big dreams and I want to go to America and make movies... I ended up with the Greek belief and slipping into becoming a housewife for over eight years before we actually started Quest Nutrition. And a lot of that in hindsight really did come from the belief system and the culture that I was brought up in. Within that culture and just growing up like that, can you share like an early memory of pain that you had? 
Ooh, pain. So I got bullied quite a bit for having a very a, a big Greek nose. I had the mouth guard that literally the the head brace. I don't know if you remember, guys, but like the big metal head brace that goes all the way around the head. I had the unibrow. I had the frizzy hair. I had the really long Greek name. So. At school, I was very insecure, didn't believe in myself. I was picked on. I felt like I was definitely the underdog, if you will. My sister was very popular. My brother was very popular. They were both very good looking. They were both very academic. And so for me, I think the the internal pain was the struggle that I wasn't good enough. It was the struggle that I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't worthy enough. All the insecurities were definitely existing in me back when I was a young teenage girl. I like how you weaved in on the first question just about falling into what it's usually family. And I always talk about it being like generational dysfunction, but also understanding that our parents were just doing the best they can with what they had. And as you started to tell your dad's story, I'm like, wow, just to think about everything you learned, right? Learned the idea of hard work and coming from nothing, but then also learning some of the, the fixed beliefs and some of those things that were passed along and to, to be able to step out of that, but to take the good, but to release the stuff that was keeping you small. It's quite fascinating. Who would you say your first teacher was? My first teacher? Ooh, definitely my mom. My parents got divorced when I was around seven or eight. And there was one of the most amicable divorces any human being can ever have like they still got along they were a team so if we were naughty at my mum's the punishment would carry over to my dad's house like they would interact they would talk all the time but my mum was always like I want to stand on my own two feet even though you're my ex-husband and you're here and you're wonderful and you're happily sport my mum was like I want to be my own person and stand on my own two feet and when I buy my kids clothes I want it be the fact that I earned the money because my dad was very funny like I'll support you and so my mum was just and I just saw that and she didn't take the easy route like when you think about the cushion or the luxuries of life she she, she could have easily have done that but she didn't and it was all because of her own self-esteem and understanding that sometimes when you're given something it actually doesn't empower you it disempowers you and so my mom seeing her being empowered having three kids working full-time and still making time for her children like that was a really hard lesson and then seeing my dad obviously come from nothing the hard work aspect definitely was ingrained in me how would you say some of those lessons, looking back on them, have connected the dots to allow you to to be who you are today and how you show up in the world? Ooh, yeah, it's funny because if I go look back at my mom's story, you even said like the good and the bad. My mom, they were definitely bad. Like she didn't mean to. The parents did as best they could, but my mom definitely had body dysmorphia issues. So growing up, I saw her barely eat anything, a borderline anorexic. And then when I got into roughly my 20s, she flipped the other way and went very heavy and overweight and extremely unhealthy. And so looking at like the potential negative is my own self-esteem, my own body dysmorphia. But I look back and I don't blame her. To blame your parents for something that they didn't know better, it doesn't do you a service and it doesn't do your parents a service. Like They did the best they can. And sorry, I've totally gone away, I think, from the question that you asked. Remind me what the question was? The initial question was just who your first real teacher is, but you're right on point. So it's it's all connecting. So you just keep going. Oh, okay. And so then my mom lost her way. 
And a big part of as she lost her way and we were building Quest, in that I started to figure out who I was. And I went from being a housewife for eight years to finding, oh my God, I can do things I never thought was possible. The company was just growing so fast. It was growing at 57,000%. So I originally was like, I'm just helping out my husband. I'm a good wife. I'm helping out my husband. I'll ship bars from my living room floor. I'll use a rolling pin and knives. Like I'm a good Greek wife. But then we grew at 57,000%. And I literally was like, oh God, you have to figure things out as you're doing it. And you just are growing so quickly that in that first year, I was like, wow, all these things I didn't think were possible, I ended up doing. Now, I did it because... I wouldn't stop because we would have lost our house. So our house was on the line when we started the company. And so that was a real threat. And also I, I prided myself on being a good wife. So every time I met an obstacle when I didn't know what I was doing, I was like, you're a good wife, save your house. You're a good wife, save your house. And in that pursuit, in that journey, in falling on the floor and picking myself back up, not waiting for anyone else, picking myself back up, I started to realize what I was capable of. And honestly, like I love using superhero language. It felt like I had developed a superpower. And the superpower was I thought I was terrible at something and I worked hard and I actually got better. That's my superpower that I get back up. And so now I started to get more self-esteem and confidence around the fact that I may not know something now, but I could learn it. And I started to build that confidence and that confidence helped us build Quest. Now coming full circle back to my mom, I would start to say, mom, like we're doing very well. Like I could give you free protein bars. I'll, I'll hire you a chef. I'll hire you a trainer because we were getting more and more financially successful. And as time went on, she kept saying, I can't lose the weight. I, d I can't. And then I started to realize like a quest was amazing. For the people that had decided they wanted to pick up a quest bar instead of a candy bar, it was amazing. But what about the majority of people or a lot of people that don't feel good about themselves, that don't have the courage to even walk into the gym, that are so ashamed, that are depressed, right? All these things, the insecurities, that was my mom. It wasn't even about offering the free bar. It was the fact that her mindset wasn't right. And so now here we are affecting people with the body, but you're really not helping the first step, which is really affecting the mind. Because once the mind starts believing it can, now it's like the body just has to catch up. So that's where we started to really develop content. And because my background, I went to film school, even though my dad didn't want me to, I went to film school. My husband's background was film. We started doing this content about the mind. And that's really where Impact Theory was born. At that moment, and I will come full circle, at that moment, my mom started watching our content because she, in the same year we started Impact Theory, she retired. And she went from very obese to saying she couldn't to all of a sudden one day she just decided I'm just going to change. I've had enough. And I remember one day, probably six months in, I called her and I was like, oh, mom, how's, you know, the healthy eating going? I didn't want to pressure her. So I was just like, how's everything going? She said, well, it was really raining today. So I thought, oh, here come the excuses because she's just full of them. And she, so it, I couldn't do my normal walk. I couldn't do my five miles. So I got in the car and I drove to the biggest grocery store near me and I got my Fitbit on and I walked up and down the aisles and I walked five miles. I then bought an apple and walked out the store. She's like, I got my five miles in. The same woman, guys, the exact same woman. Nothing had changed. It was like, she still, it's not like she built a skill set. It wasn't like all of a sudden she couldn't walk and now she could. No, she could always walk. She just decided. She made that decision. And so 
when like everything that I'm doing and just my mom, she really is this incredible human who had something, lost herself, and then just put the work in, changed her mindset at 70 at 70. And that's what it's all about. I don't care how old you are. I don't care where you've come from, what your experience is. If you don't believe something's not possible, then you may as well give up now. But if you do, you're going to overcome those obstacles. The same person that would have stopped because it was raining finally said, I'm no longer going to make excuses. That was it. That was the only difference. I'm no longer going to make excuses. And she says, she said, how do I not make excuses? Oh, okay. I need to walk, but I don't want to get wet. Great. Let me go indoors. I mean, so I can keep going on that story. <laughs> what you just described about your mother is literally the essence of this show. It's the essence of, of comeback stories. It's refusing to make excuses anymore, refusing to settle for my current circumstances and willing to do whatever it takes to create something better. And I love hearing that. And I love seeing what you're doing today to create a better picture of what you're doing now and how amazing that it is. We like to take people through the greatest moments of adversity. You know, we like to bridge that gap between, hey, Lisa is incredibly successful and awesome, but there were times of adversity in her life that she had to overcome in order to get where she is. And those moments actually helped her and serve as an asset now. So what I want to ask you now is what would you say was your greatest moment of adversity that you've had to overcome or your lowest point, would you say? Isn't it weird, Darren, though, as you ask that question, I get excited about saying the hardest hardship I've ever had. There's something to that, right? There's something to going, oh, this was the worst time of my life. And yet I'm so excited to talk about it. That alone shows the mindset that you just need to constantly cultivate. When Quest was in the early days, the tiring, the working on weekends, the working 24 hours, the showing up in a hairnet, the this wasn't what I signed up for. Like, how the hell did I end up making protein bars when I originally was in London wanting to win an Academy Award for movie making, right? It like it ends up going like, how did my life end up this wrong? And so at Quest, as we were starting to build it, with the hardships, we needed something to keep us going. So what my husband and I would do is we would take drives around Beverly Hills and in the, the hills. And we would like, just look at houses. So we had a Ford Focus and the engine to the point where like, it had a hole in it, but we didn't like, didn't have enough money to fix it. So if you go over 60, it like starts like, so like we're driving in Beverly Hills with this car that's like making this janky noise. And we're just looking at the houses and we're like, oh, okay, so I want to buy that house. And he's like, no, no, I like that style house. And we just started to make it feel real. So what are we actually doing? What are we engaging in? Not just the dream, but how do we make it feel like a reality? Because in those moments where you you feel like you are on your knees, how do you get yourself out of it? Because the truth is you're going to find yourself on your knees multiple times if you're trying to go for something, if you're trying to grow, if you're challenging yourself, you will find yourself falling. So in those moments, how do you actually change the chemicals in your body, actively change them. So for me, it's music. For me, it's even changing the tone of my voice. It's about getting excited about something. If I can get excited about something, then I can overcome it. So we would go to, on these trips. We would drive the Beverly Hills. Quest then becomes from zero to a billion dollar company within five years. And now it's like the dream's coming true. Like we've actually, we can actually buy a house in Beverly Hills. It was like the moment I've been dreaming about, like in those rap songs, or like with the women in the bikinis and they're, they're like pouring the champagne on their body by the waterfall. Like I joke about it, but I actually said to Tom, I had a vision 
that when we have enough money, I want to get a bottle of champagne. I want to stand in front of that. And I, so I'm such a big rap fan. I was like, I want to stand in front of a waterfall in front of your babe and I want to pour champagne on me. So no joke, guys, the dream actually comes true. We buy a beautiful house. There's a waterfall. We buy a bottle of Dom Perignon and we just go to celebrate. And in that moment, as I gulp like the bottle of Dom Perignon, within five minutes, my entire gut felt like it exploded. Mm. To the point now, in the behind the scenes, I started having more and more problems with just my food. I was like, I don't understand why it hurts when I eat sugar. I don't understand why if I don't eat sugar for a week and then I eat it, all of a sudden I feel like it takes me a day to over. Like I would feel literally like I'd taken alcohol. And so it just got worse progressively. And the champagne, little did I know, ended up being the final like nail in the coffin, if you will. And from that moment on, from literally we drink the champagne, five minutes later, I'm like, babe, I can barely breathe. I couldn't stand up for longer than five minutes at a time just to maybe this is too much information but i couldn't wear a bra for maybe for six months i could barely eat anything i had obviously done something to the point where i just it was i couldn't reverse it so for six months i couldn't eat anything i was on a beef only diet it was like the only thing i could consume to the point where guys if i put pepper literally pepper on my food my husband almost rushed me to the emergency room. I was about 15 pounds lighter than I am now. My hair was falling out. My nails were brittle. My self-esteem went down because I wasn't being able to eat all the nutrients. So it's amusing now, but like I was a cliche. Money doesn't buy happiness. Like I was at the top of my financial gain and at the absolute bottom of my happiness and su- emotional success. So I was like, wow, okay. I lost complete sight of what actually life is all about because here I am now with more money than I'd ever dreamed of and I am trying to pay doctors to fix me and doctors are just trying to give me a pill to fix me and that was the bottom the very bottom of how I felt about myself and that was also the moment where I did the most empowering thing that I've ever done in my life. And I said, it's all my fault. Now, people hate the word fault. I understand. It's all my responsibility. Whatever word empowers you. But the word fault really did empower me. And I was like, Lisa, you're sick because it's your fault. Now, if it's my fault, then that means I'm the only one that can get myself out of it. I was turning to other people to fix me. I was turning to my husband to fix me. I was turning to the doctors to fix me. I was like, give me a pill to fix me. Give me a surgery to fix me. And then once I realized, oh, all of this was done because at the age of 16, I saw people, I saw body dysmorphia. I saw the food was a big issue. I started cutting out fat. I started cutting out carbs. I was getting sick because I didn't realize our immune systems carried in our gut. Every time I was getting sick, I was going to the doctor. The doctor was giving me antibiotics. And for 10 to 15 years, I was taking antibiotics every year to the point where I was getting so sick, I was taking maybe three or four times a year. Now, I could blame the doctor. I did blame the doctors for the longest time, for the first year. And then I was like, I'm not getting better. Then I said to myself, what if I didn't blame the doctors? What if I said, huh, hang on a minute. The doctors were giving me the antibiotics, but they didn't force feed me. I chose to swallow them. The doctors were saying, hey, Lisa, I probably shouldn't prescribe you this many antibiotics, but here you go. Did I ever once say, why not? Did I ever do my own research? No. So now, okay, 
this is my responsibility. I need to now start asking my body what it needs. And so I stopped going to all the professional doctors. I then started biohacking. I got an aura ring. I got a permanent glucose monitor and I started just tracking for like six months. I did an entire every single day account of what I ate, when I ate, when my gut hurted me, what I tweet, what I changed. I cut out lectins. I cut out, you know, sugar. I cut out refined sugar. I cut out dairy. I bought something back. Like, I just took ownership. And over the last, this has been about now five years, guys. Over the last five years, I have only empowered myself every day. And that mentality has now led to my business. It's led to how I show up every day. I don't blame anyone else for my failures. I don't blame anyone else for any issues in my life. I take a very hard look at myself. That doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, right? I'm not saying you can control everything, but I'm just saying, what can I control? And now, take action on that. So the literally the worst thing to ever happen to me that I'm still battling today, I still can't eat out. Like I still have to call a restaurant and say, Hey, what oils do you use? I can't eat canola. I can't have vegetable oil. I can only have a hundred percent. I can't eat without taking digestive tab. This is my life. But yet I can still say it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I took my power back. Wow. I, I love what you say about taking ownership. I can relate to know what your bottom looked like, where you were very successful on paper and in the books, your inner world was not adding up to what that success looked like. I was in the NFL for just about three years and I was making money and had access to all these things and people loved who I was, but I was completely broken on the inside. And all I had to show for it was an addiction that, you know, I was just basically holding me up and I was just floating through life. So there was no ownership being taken. You know, I always thought the world was out to get me. People were Mm -hmm. trying to hurt me. Nothing was ever my fault. And so when it came time for me to do something about it, I was waiting for answers or solutions to fall into my lap. But it took, you know, me overdosing and going to rehab, things like that, for me to realize that I can take ownership of everything that I'm doing, the, the content that I'm allowing in, seeking to just better my situation. And to hear you say that and how you did everything that you could all the way down to the small little details of your diet and things like that, that, you know, I can take control of all of these things. It's uh, something amazing. I know that people needed to hear that. And I just want to hear at Comeback Stories, you know, we like to tell ourselves that there's a story that we always tend to tell ourselves, but we don't need to tell that story to ourselves anymore. Donnie always says the, the story that matters most is the story that we tell ourselves. What mm-hmm. is that story for you today? And how do you find yourself maintaining it? What are some of the little things and the little principles that you like to embody? Yeah, I love that question. So the funny thing is when I was younger, the story I was telling myself is you're no good. You're not enough. You're stupid. What are you doing? You don't know anything. Stay in your place. Like all the things that over time, my self-narrative had built from being bullied at school and things like that and not having a boyfriend and all of that sort of thing. So I had that narrative. And then over time, I realized it was very detrimental to showing up and actually challenging myself and trying new things. And it really was once I had slipped into being the housewife for eight years. And I really want to like, before I go on, I actually want to echo that there's nothing wrong with being a housewife. Like it is. So, it was so freaking hard. There are times where I'm like, oh my God, it's harder than what I do now. I just didn't want to be that because I was stuck. And what you're saying is how many of us get stuck? How many of us are living a life that actually were like, how did we end up here? And for me, I was doing that for eight years. Now, the problem is I didn't hit rock bottom, right? I didn't overdose. There was no massive 
earth-shaking thing that happened to me to break me out of that. And that actually breaks my heart more than you can imagine because in those moments, the this narrative and the dialogue I was telling myself was, hang on a minute, Lisa, who, who are you to ask for more? Like, you've got a husband, you wanted to live in LA, you're living in LA, you wanted to be in a relationship, you've got a husband that loves you. There are so many people that have it worse. There are so many people that have it worse. And we do that, I think, to self-soothe. I think it makes ourselves feel better about the situation we're in by thinking about other people that have it worse. But what it also does is it keeps you where you are. It doesn't make you thirsty. It doesn't make you hungry. Because I didn't hit rock bottom, nothing snapped me out of, Lisa, what the freaking hell, your life? Like, you didn't want this. And now you're not asking for more. So that was like really the stories that I told myself up until when I started Quest. It was I was doing it for my husband because my mindset really did then just fit into the narrative that I was told as a child that you would end up to be a stay-at-home wife and have kids. And so even though I didn't want it, my narrative fell into it. It was like, oh, this is what I should be doing. And because of Quest, and I, I honestly ask myself, if that never happened, what would I have been doing? Because at Quest, it really did show me. I was like, be a good housewife, um, support your husband. So for that first year, I ended up proving to myself what I was made of. But what if that hadn't have happened? I don't know. Like, I really do fear, how do I help other women break out of the narrative where then they haven't hit rock bottom, but their narrative is I can't ask for more. And that really is a big mission of mine now. But my narrative then shifted. And now the story that I tell myself is, I'm still not great. Lisa, I still holding on to a bit of the, you're terrible. Because the truth is, I am terrible at things. And so fooling myself to say you're amazing just doesn't serve me. So I think owning that I'm terrible at something and then going, but you know what, Lisa? If you want to learn, you really could. So I'm going to pose a question to you guys. Do you think if you really set your mind to it, you could be, and maybe you guys play the piano, but I always bring up the piano. I'm not quite sure why, but you could be like a top class pianist if you wanted to. Do you believe you could? I believe I could. I question it. Darren's a musician, which, by the way, you like rap music. Darren produces the intro song. I think I love his music, but I, I doubt my ability to be a, a world class in that area. So that's the funny thing. So I do too, right? And I'm like, I don't want to be a pianist, so who cares? But it's all about mindset. So now what I do is all these things that I was like, you, you can't do that, Lisa. You can't do that. I just go, hang on a minute. Let's just really break it down for a second. Imagine you gave up everything. You stopped doing the podcast. You gave up your partner. You stopped having friends and you shut yourself away for 30 years. And I give you the best, the instruments, classes. Do you think you could be pretty damn good? For sure. Right. right. And I do too. I just choose not to. I, that's not the life I want. I don't want to divorce my husband. I don't want to play the piano that much, but now go, that's so empowering. I choose not to play the piano, not I can't play the piano. And so when I look at the story I told myself, I used to say, you can't do that. You're not good enough for that. You have no right to do that. And now I shift it into saying, you don't know, but you could. I just choose not to. That's so empowering because anything now I want to try, any dream, any goal, anything that I have, I just look and go, oh, it's possible. But what is it actually going to take? Right, there's certain things that are going to be easier for me because of my skill sets. So some things that are going to be really hard, like music. 
I love rapping, but I can't play any musical instrument. So I go, okay, it's going to be harder for me to learn an instrument than it is to, let's say, draw, which I'm an artist and I do in my spare time. I've had 30 years of experience of drawing. I have zero experience of music. So the, the commitment will be different but I still believe that I can. Now I just go, do I want to or not? And it is so empowering to tell yourself that because now there's nothing out of reach. There's literally nothing out of reach. Now, whether it's true or not, whether I spend 30 years and end up still being a terrible musician, eh, I probably won't. I'd probably be pretty good, but that doesn't empower me if I think, well, Lisa, no, even if you do that, you'd be terrible. How does that help me? It doesn't. It just brings my mindset down. It makes me feel incompetent. And so now every time I think of something, come full circle to the question, every time I think of something, I go, does this mindset empower you or disempower you? If it disempowers me, how do I get rid of it? Or how do I flip it? So even when I think back of the younger Lisa, I lean into the fact that I feel stupid and I lean into the fact that I used to be insecure and I don't want to get rid of that because to me, that's it makes me feel good when I go, I look at something and I say, oh, I can't do it. And I go, hang on, Elisa. You were insecure. You thought you can do it. Look at what you've done. We need to start patting ourselves on the back. We need to start looking at our achievements, no matter how big, how small. You told yourself you weren't going to go to the gym, but actually you managed to put on your shoes and get to the gym that day. That's a freaking achievement. And pat yourself on the back. But I also do the opposite. When I fail, I don't then go, well, at least you tried. I go, no, you freaking failed. What can you learn from it? What are you going to do differently? I demand more from myself on both sides of it. So I don't demean myself to make myself stay there. I shine a light at my weaknesses in order for me to get stronger. It's in fact, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he used to hate his legs. They were always puny. And he would go to the gym and everyone's like, oh my God, he's so muscly. And he would go, he would wear pants and he would show off his muscles. Then eventually he thought, hang on a minute. If I want to build something, I need to stare at it every single day so that I am fueled by it. So he flipped it. He started going into the gym. He would cover his top half of his body with big baggy sweaters so he would never see his muscles. And he would wear shorts. And he would stare at the thing that was his weakest part of him to get stronger, not to make him feel weaker. And that is such a powerful lesson in just mindset and life. I could keep going, but I'll shut up. (laughs) I think it's amazing. There's so much to unpack in what you just said, but it all... I'm not sure what your meditation practice is, but clearly you've got some type of meditation visualization practice because all of the stuff you touched on, the power of choosing the space. I always talk about how mindfulness gives us the space to make better decisions, less mistakes, and really realign our our actions with our core values. And you talked about awareness, which I believe awareness is what loosens the grip in a natural way of anything that keeps us stuck. Because there's other ways that we can have the grip loosened. We could pop a pill or take a drink or go shop or grab our phones. But it's awareness that actually loosens the grip in a natural way. And like you said, shining the light of awareness onto it to get unstuck. The other thing I wanted to mention is you didn't hit a rock bottom. And it's funny, I was just talking about this, how I feel like my addiction saved my life, where it almost killed me also, but it actually, it saved my life. I did hit a bottom and it streamlined us into this world of personal development and therapy and just figuring out that life isn't about all of the material stuff. It's actually about service. But when Mm -hmm. Darren and I, we do our 12 step work, we see that the core of addiction is of our addiction is selfishness and self-centeredness. 
So what's the antidote? It's to go serve and to go help. So it's just cool that you're hitting on all of these things that are really the essence of, of why we're doing this show. I'm loving every bit of this. I love that, guys. And talking about this is so powerful and your stories because it's not about when we fall. Like, it really isn't. It's about when you fall, how do you handle getting back up? And for me, with my health, it was like there was one time that I was doing a photo shoot and I was, it was probably at my, one of my worst health wise. It was very hard for me to stand up. It was very hard for me to, you know, wear any tight clothes at all. And I had this photo shoot and we're halfway through. I've got literally the crew, makeup, everything's done. And I'm halfway through and I get the most excruciating stomach cramps. And this would happen often. It would happen, used to happen like five, six times a day to the point where I can barely breathe. So imagine I'm on this call and now I, I literally can't talk. So it was like that. And so I was like, excuse me, guys, I just have to go to the restroom. I just excused, excused myself because I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to admit that. I thought it, it was a weakness that I had health issues. So I didn't tell anyone. So I literally, excuse me, I just need to go to the restroom. I went upstairs into my bedroom because we were shooting in my house and I, I, I collapsed to the floor. It was that bad. I was like, <gasps> like the, the tightness in my gut, it was spasming. And so immediately I grabbed my phone and I called my husband who was in the house. And we have a rule that if you call the other person, if I'm in a meeting, let's say my husband calls now, I'm going to ignore him. I'm going to pretend he's not even calling. If he calls three times, even though I'm on a podcast with you guys, that's our code emergency. So I was like, okay, I know I have to call him three times. I know he's going to ignore the first two because he's in a meeting. So I called the third time and he didn't answer. And I'm on the floor and I'm literally like, I need him. I need him to help me get up. I literally cannot get up. And after the third, third time, he didn't answer. I just stopped and I was like, in my head, I'm like, I need him, I need him, I need him. And I was like, no, you don't. You want him, but you don't need him. This is all on you. You have the strength to get back up. Lisa, you want to be saved, but you are the freaking hero of your own life. Get the F up. And guys, I pulled myself up off that bathroom floor. I went and finished the photo shoot. And since that day, I've never said I need my husband. I say I want him, but I am the hero of my own life. And I use that now in my show, Women of Impact. I end every episode with that because I've been married for 18 years. So you can imagine I'm very close with my husband. But even now, I don't want to have him save me. It's not a healthy mindset. It's a healthy mindset to believe you can get back up. And that's what you guys are talking about. It's not about the fact that you overdosed or fell on the floor. It's the fact that now you've used that to not only empower you guys, but to empower so many other people. And that's what we need to start celebrating. Like when we started Quest Nutrition, we were in Compton because it was the only place we could afford to manufacture. And we were starting to hire people and people would come in and we literally said to people, I don't care if you've got a criminal record and they're like, what do you mean? Of course you can. No, I don't care where you've been. Like, I honestly don't care what your past is. All I care about is who are you showing up to be today and who do you want to be in the future? That's what we care about. And the word ended up getting out on the street that there was this company that was just hiring ex-convicts and they didn't care. And before we knew it, guys, we actually had Bloods and Crips on our protein bar line, but because they 
was so like, like they couldn't believe that we were willing to give people chances. It was the most beautiful thing. And of course, a couple of people had a bit of like tiffs and we had to like straighten it out. But like there were the, some of the most incredible humans I've ever met in my life. And now I've been in business for 15 years. And some of the most incredible people were the people that went to prison, were the people that are ex-convicts because they had fallen and they had realized the beauty that can be life. We just want to, for some reason pinpoint and focus on the negative of when we fall and that being the point that is our identity but even with you guys showing up every day saying no that's not your identity it's the fact that you're getting back up that is what our identity should be is so freaking beautiful it's amazing so what would you say that uh, you're most grateful for today i know throughout your journey i'm sure i know for me at least I was grateful when I got some money or grateful for material things. Over time, my definition of gratitude changed. And uh, I just want to know, what are you most grateful for today? I don't want to give you a cheesy, generic answer. So I really want to just take a second to think, what am I actually grateful for? The truth is, it's really my husband. My business could go, I could lose every penny I have. And I tell myself this a lot, especially in COVID and quarantine. Like every so often, I'm just like, yeah, I would be totally fine as long as I have my husband because it's the experience and the journey and the memories that mean everything to me. And again, that's why going back to the story I was saying about my health, right? To the point where I had to have the dream house and now I'm like at the worst. That was like why that is the most beautiful thing because very early on, like the second we got money was the second I realized money meant nothing. So being grateful to me really is what are the things that if everything took away that I, you know, would really care about, ultimately it actually is my husband. That's amazing. A couple things with having to do with your husband. We've had him on and of course. And the first time I saw Tom speak live, I also saw you and I saw the way you were taking some pictures for him and run up the, the, the middle aisle and just the excitement. And I could just sense this love and then following you guys and seeing the crazy love you guys have for each other, but also the, the level of accountability and I bring up accountability. It's funny. We had Danica Patrick. I don't know if you've had her on Women of Impact yet. Yeah. I, yeah. So I haven't had her on the show, but I, Tom's had her on his show. Yeah. She's amazing. And she, her answer for gratitude was accountability. That was what she was grateful for. And mm-hmm. I'd never written that on my gratitude list, but I'm like, damn, I am super grateful for accountability. Accountable to friends and guys like Darren and the men in my circle, but like you guys, you two. And really adopting that whole growth mindset in your relationship and seeing how that shows and how you guys show up for each other and for everything that you're doing. It's fascinating. There isn't many couples like power couples or couples that I look up to as much as I look up to you two because of the work, because of your willingness to, to do the work and to, and of course to carry the message. Thank you. And, and that's the thing. Like the truth is we got together very young. So we didn't have growth mindset. We were very clunky, but every single day it was, what do we need to do in order to live the rest of our lives in a happy, successful marriage? I don't just want to be married. I actually want to be happy. I've seen many couples that 
no longer know each other, like they have kids and they barely engage or they're so career oriented that they care more about their job than each other. And ultimately, it's like on a day-to-day basis, I put my work first and husband Tom does too. But I even gave you an explanation of, but we have ways of saying, no, if I need to be your priority, how do we make that happen in an instant? And it's those little things. It's that it's communicating and especially for me, because I wanted originally, I wanted four children. Like even though I had big dreams of being in movies, I was still very at heart wanted four kids. And over time, as I was changing and as he was changing, I realized that I loved business. I loved quests. I loved building things. And if we hadn't built the foundation before that to have the talk where I had to say to him, I don't know if I want children anymore. Oh, and hey, these last eight years where I cook every single meal for you and I put out all your clothes and I do all the ironing and I do all the bills and you literally don't have to worry about anything that I don't want to do that anymore, but I still love you. How do you as a partner hear that? Not think it's about you and then embrace that your life is about to get basically worse, right? Because now you have to sort out your own food and blah, blah, blah. Um, and be so excited for you. It's because we had communicated every step of the way what, you know, being absolute honest, even when it hurts, even when you, if I'm going to be honest with him right now, I know it's actually going to hurt his feelings. Like I know him to know, but it is my duty as a couple to tell him to have the conversation. Then also the other thing is I see a lot of couples growing up, obviously having from divorced parents, seeing that a lot of couples end up being just on separate pages. And now it's almost like a battle. Who's going to win the fight? And I just go, what's the goal? If as a couple, if you can actually agree, what's the goal? If you had to say in one sentence, my goal with my husband is when I take my last dying breath, I am still with him and happily married, dying breath. Okay. So if I think I'm right, Lisa, you're probably going to live to at least a hundred all right, I'm in my 40s. I've got 60 years. I've got 60 years to make sure that my relationship with my husband is still a beautiful one. So that's going to take communication. That's going to take utter honesty. Um, and now it's going to take saying and doing the hard things. And if you guys can both promise that you've got the same goal, now every time we have a fight, every time we disagree, we come back to what's that goal. So the analogy I love is like a tennis match. You've got a tennis match where we're on opposite sides and now you're playing the same sport, but you're actually against each other or you have doubles. I'm playing doubles, guys. My husband's on the same side of the net and we're trying to win the game together. So if he does a really bad swing, I'm not going to be like, oh, you're fine. I'll be like, hey, get your swing, get it in gear. We need to win this game. But he knows I'm not saying it to demean him. He knows I'm saying it because collectively we've got the same freaking goal in mind to have the happy relationship. So when you can trust your partner that every feedback you give, any criticism, any complaint that you give your partner is in service of your relationship, then you can trust them. You can give over to them that whatever they're saying is in service of the both of you. And I think that we get so defensive when your partner comes to you to say, hey, I need you to improve this. Hey, I need you to, you're dropping the ball over here on your partnership. We lay it out. It's a job title. As And maybe you guys have it. What's your responsibilities in doing this podcast? Who speaks first? Who, at the end of the video, who uploads it? Who does the music? Everyone's got their role and responsibility. But for some reason, when it comes to relationships, people want to be doing like the same. And it's like, that doesn't, at least for me and my husband, that doesn't work. Like we have sat down and decided he takes out the garbage. Now, 
I don't care what other people think if that's, oh, why should the man do it and women not? No, no, that's just our agreement. He does that and I make sure that there's food in the fridge. And I don't care what other people think. I don't care if other people judge. I don't like we've decided these are the roles. We're both very happy in doing them. And then we execute them and we do it like a team. So it's like keeping what matters at the forefront. If it's a relationship, I talk a lot about this with boundaries. And if you even with boundaries, we teach people how to treat us. But I used to feel bad for having to set boundaries. It's not about placing limitations on other people. It's just this is simply the impact it's having on me is this. But when we, especially when it comes to relationships with boundaries, when we keep at the forefront what matters, which is nurturing and loving and growing our relationship, that's what it's all about. That's the foundation. Yeah, 100%. Something that you said that you and Tom figured out was, I feel like it's one of the most valuable lessons you can ever learn is willing to go through the temporary discomfort and knowing that whether it's in discomfort of a conversation or the discomfort of anything that you may be going through, and knowing that something else, something greater is coming on the other side. A lot of people, you know, I was one of those people in relationships where it's like, I'm not willing to go through that temporary discomfort to see <laughs> what's better on the other side. I want everything to feel good at all times and no confrontation, nothing to be, to feel like it's a disturbance. But that's one of the greatest things I've learned in, in my journey and Donnie as well. Certain things aren't going to feel great. Certain things aren't going to, you know, make you feel like you're full of joy all the time, but there are certain things that you need to go through and learn those lessons in order to get to a certain space where, you know, things do start to make sense. And you can look back on those times and be like, oh, wow, like I needed to go through that. So uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. And what's amazing, Darren, is we don't doubt it or question it when it comes to things like sports, right? So like you practicing, like you had to practice, right? Every day, it's diet, it's how often are you training, it's are you recuperating, it's doing the hard things, it's pushing yourself beyond the boundaries, it's getting super freaking uncomfortable. And you didn't stop and go, hang on a minute, do I have to do this? You were like, oh yeah, of course, to get stronger, to be better, I have to put in the reps, I have to put in the work. But for some reason, when it comes to relationships, for some reason, people think if it's worked and then something wrong, but you don't think like that with business. You don't think like that with sports. You don't think like that with other things. You don't think like that as a child who has to get up and actually learn how to walk. You fall many times, but when it comes to relationships, when it comes to the heart, you think everything should be beautiful. Everything should be perfect. They should know what I want. And if they don't, then something's wrong with them. And why are they not paying attention to me? Or why isn't this? And it just becomes like a sport, right? It's, you have to learn the moves. You have to practice and practice and practice. And even then you're still fumble. <laughs> that that I mean that's perfect. Um, you know, I want to ask you if you had a one tweet or one one hundred and forty character text that you could send to the younger Lisa who was you know trying to fit a certain image or impress certain people or was just you know lost in her way. What would that quote be to her? Cool. The funny thing is, so and I don't speak in sound bites, so I apologize. <laughs> so with that question. I've really thought about it. What would you tell your younger self? And I've gone through the whole process of you've got this, like you'll love yourself one day, like all of that. And the truth is though, guys, if I tell myself, I wish I could have gone back to do that, there's something subconsciously I'm telling myself about I'm not good enough now. And so what I like to do is I wouldn't tell anything to the back Lisa. I would do a fun little emoji that made her laugh. That would be my tweet because I want to reinforce within myself, even in my 40s, I want to reinforce all the hardship 
is beautiful. It's led me to here because tomorrow in a week, in a month, in a year, when I fall and I've got more hardship, what am I going to do? I'm going to look back and go, this is all part of it, Lisa. This is all part of it. But if I take that away, if I take that away from the younger Lisa, who would I be today? Would I be as ferocious? Would I be as like, thick skinned? I don't know. I don't think I would be. And people talk about like the helicopter parenting and stuff like that, about like now parents are just all protecting their kids. They are not prepared for the real world. Now I don't have children, so I definitely can't speak on that though, but there is something to empowering myself now by telling myself the hardship I went through was needed. What would you say to maybe somebody else that knows the one thing holding them back, but doesn't know what to do about it? What would you say to them? Like the first thing that comes to mind is a little cheesy. Like you've got this, like the belief in yourself is everything. But if you're feeling depressed, if you're not feeling good, that doesn't resonate, right? Like those words are just words. I would like ask questions. I almost don't think that statements help much long-term. But if you ask a question to someone, it can lead a thought process that maybe hasn't been activated. So Rachel Hollis actually is a good friend of mine. And I had a good conversation with her once and she was really struggling with parenthood. And people were, you know, someone was saying something like, oh, you work a lot. And like, how are you there for your kids? And she turned around and she was like, I kept feeling like I was a bad mother. I kept feeling like I was a bad mother. And eventually I was just like, hang on a minute. What does a good mother look like to me? Other people are saying good mother is the person that goes to all the parent teacher conferences that breaks all the cookies, that is all there like sewing the, the kids clothes. And she's like, I don't think of that as being a good mother. I think of that as being a mother that's present. But a good mother to me is being there, making her child happy. So breaking down what that thing is. So anyone listening, the kind of the full circle, like coming back around to your question is if you're not feeling good about yourself, what does feeling good look like to you? We compare ourselves to a lot of other people, right? Like, oh, I want to be like those guys. Look how they got back up. And it's like, is that what it looks good to you? Is that the type of life you want? What life do you want? And that was the thing of comparison. I know it's become a little cliche, but comparison is a thief of joy. This, it comes cliche because there's some truth to it. And the truth is that the second you look outwards, you are no longer looking at what needs to be done within yourself. And so asking people questions of what does happiness look like to you? Being really refined, not just, oh, feeling good when I wake up. What does that even mean? Like refined. And so I love asking questions because it's, oh, I haven't thought about that because I don't think we think deep enough about what do we actually want? What do we want our life to look like? What does that actually look like on an average Wednesday? I always say that because that was how I decided not to have children. I could get caught up in the idea of being pregnant. Like I really want to be pregnant. The idea I can get caught up in the feeling of the baby kicking. I can get caught up in the birth of my child. I could get caught up in seeing a little Tom run around. I can get caught up in that. But what does an average Wednesday look like? And I go, oh, I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night. I love my job. I don't want to have to come home at 6 p.m. But I also don't want, this is literally no dig on anyone, but I don't want someone else bringing up my child. So that was how I ended up breaking down. What do I actually want? What does a Wednesday look like? What does happiness look like to you, Lisa? Stop listening to all the other mothers. Because literally, and I, I don't know if actually if you guys have kids, but everyone that has a child says to me, you'll never know the love like you do having a child. I believe them. 
but it's not something that I lack right now. Like I'm not missing the thing because I don't know, I don't have it. So it's not that I think they're lying. It's that I think, what does love look like to me? And right now is I freaking love what I do. I love waking up on a Wednesday, like the people that call it like hump day or Monday suck. It's, oh my God, then you're not doing what you love. And so I remember, I'm sorry, I feel like I might have derailed our, our, the, the question, but. <laughs> no, that's great. Cause I read you say one time that people need to learn how to forget about what they should be doing. Like there's a lot of times mm-hmm. like, I know with football, I always knew like it was something that I should be doing or going to get a great education or something that I should be doing. But at the end of the day, you know, what I should be doing wasn't giving me the fuel necessary to be my true self. I was just fitting a formula that everybody else was creating. But if I'm, if I forget about what I should be doing and just do what I know feels right to me, that's when I can create that life that I can dig in and find joy and happiness, no matter what the circumstances are around me. But if I'm doing what I should be doing, what people say, oh, you do this and this, you know, that's going to get you to a point of success. But that's where that that emptiness is still going to be there speaking to you. So I I, uh, I appreciate you saying that and uh, elaborating on that. Yeah, the shoulds, definitely. That was the thing, right? You should have kids. You're a woman. If you don't, you're not motherly. And so I got a lot of flack. I got people calling me selfish. I'm like, how? how is me not having children selfish? I actually had someone say to me, what if your parents hadn't had you? I'm like, I wouldn't be alive. So I wouldn't know. <laughs> like it's right. And so, but it goes back to judgment. It goes back to you should be doing this. And here's the thing. If you don't wake yourself up, you end up slipping into a life that isn't fulfilling you. And so I've stopped saying should and go, what do I want? Okay, people think I should, but according to who? And taking that out of your vocabulary. And as I said earlier, taking certain words out of my vocabulary so that every time I go to say it, I actively stop. Even if I'm doing a podcast, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to. I will literally mid-sentence, like if you said something, I'm like, oh, I can't, I would be like, I choose not to. I stop myself because I think words are powerful. And I said to myself for eight years, I should be supporting my husband. I should stay at home and love what I do. I should love my life. I've got a roof over my head. I don't need food. I don't need money for food. I I can afford food. So you should be satisfied. And all of these things is exactly what keeps people there. And then the second thing that I think really keeps people down is not asking yourself the, the hard questions. So for instance, am I happy in my marriage? COVID really rocked people because people were just keeping themselves busy so they don't ask themselves the questions. And this actually comes back to the tweet, which is why I would ask questions because it shakes people awake. So people don't ask themselves the questions, am I happy in my marriage? And what ends up happening is they don't want to actually answer it because what if the truth is no? Now imagine, let's say you're married and you've got kids and you say, oh God, If I ask myself the question, the answer is no. Now, does that mean I have to either tell them? Do I have to divorce? Am I now a single parent? Do I now have to buy a different house? Like it becomes this, you open a can of worms and no one wants to freaking open the can of worms. So they end up staying in a life that isn't satisfying because you're actually afraid of the answer. And when I look back at my life of being a stay-at-home wife for eight years, if I had asked myself, am I happy? I would have actually said no. And then that means I would have had to change. But we all know, right? Changing is freaking scary. And so we end up staying exactly where we are. Sounds like good things started to happen for you when you stopped shooting on yourself. 100%. 
I think we know the answer to this last question, but we always end with who gets your comeback story shout out? Who gets my comeback stories? What does that mean exactly? Who do you give love to? We can't do this alone. It takes a team. Who would you say for you gets your comeback story shout out? Oh, you know what? I think you think I'm going to say my husband, but I'm actually going to give a shout out to myself because I'm just going to say as women, I can't speak for men. We don't credit ourselves enough. And guys, it's inside right now. As I say that out loud, I'm like, oh God, should I say? Like, I'm still doubting, right? The, the insecure, the negativity inside me says, Lisa, you can't say that out loud, which is exactly why I forced myself in this very moment to say it because it doesn't come naturally to me. But at the end of the day, I think comeback stories all start and end with yourself. My husband can't do the work for me. It is me. It is me that got myself back up off the floor. It is me that took a hard look at myself and said, I'm not going to stop shitting on myself. My husband was a support system. Amazing. But it was me. And I want to own that as much as I feel like that's, like I said, inside, I'm, I have the negative thought. That's, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that out loud. But I'm going to give myself a shout out. Nah, shout out to you. I shout out to myself. There you go. <laughs> Reminds me of that uh, Snoop Dogg. I think he won an award and he he says something like that. Yes! Like, I'm yes! by thanking me. <laughs> oh my God. I did a whole, I did one of those reels where it's like the voiceover and I'm like, I'm thanking me. I'm thanking me. I actually did one of those. I love that. With Snoop Dogg. I never posted it though. <laughs> oh, see, I never posted it because I was worried I would be bigging myself up too much. That's interesting. Thank you for helping. That's why I love doing these as well, guys. I think it's important to understand yourself. And one of the biggest phrases I love is I speak not to be understood. I speak so I can understand. And the more I speak, the more I understand myself. And like literally in real time, you've just helped me process some of my own thinking. I know you've helped us a ton today. I've got a page full of notes and you've got a whole lot of fire. And I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for saying yes to this. I know your time is super valuable. I got so much out of this and I know our audience will too. So again, I just, again, want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for how you show up and and blessing us with your time today. Seriously, guys, like what you're doing, I knew that you had Tom on and I knew what you guys were all about and your mission. That really is when I wake up every morning, I look at my hours and I look at my time and I said, this is your time. No one gets to dictate it. What do you actually want to do? And what impact are you going to have today? So thank you for inviting me on to allow me to come here and speak. And then again, like I said, I've learned some stuff about myself today as well. I could doubly thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing your superpower with us. Uh, that's all I come up for. Learn how to get back up at resilience. Uh, you can always be trained. And thank you for inspiring us to let us know that it's possible thank you guys please do let me know how i can support you support this and all the the people that you're impacting like it's so incredible you guys sharing your stories and coming together and doing this that however i can help let me know all right thank you very much we appreciate you this is what i represent staying true till i'm six down it might take a little bit but every king's gonna get crowned 